You're listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderlin, New York. Now here's Pastor Sean. Hey guys, hope you're doing well. My uh, body says I'm not as young as I used to do. And you know, whenever you do something all day and you're just not used to doing it, your body kind of lets you know it. So we... We rode a couple hours back, I got out of the truck, and I thought, oh, I can't move very well right now. Just, you kind of stiffen up after all that, but what a blessing it was to help another sister church, much like us. Us, you know, they are maybe, we're maybe 10 years ahead of where they were, and just in their first building, and trying to get it all taken care of and gutted, and frankly, overwhelming. If you walked into that place, you'd be like, we have got a lot of work to do. And so, uh, it was really awesome, and uh, just great to be able to be there. Well, as we sang that song a minute ago, I couldn't help but kind of fixate. And, you know, it's great to sing praises and worship to God. It's important to sing songs that actually are real and true, right? You know, not just nice flowery things. And I love the line in there that says that God is undefeated. You know, I hadn't quite thought of it that way before, but... God doesn't know defeat. God has never lost a match. He's never lost anything. In the middle of the Olympics, you're great if you win, you know, a gold medal and you could lose a hundred times. In fact, most champions really are losers at the same time. But we don't talk about the losses. We only talk about the champions. But God has never, ever once lost anything. He's never, ever once suffered defeat. That's very different from your experience and from my experience. We all, in many ways, are winners, and we have win at different things in life, and especially through the grace of God in this world. But we also, each one of us, deeply know the pains of defeat in areas where we don't want to lose, and we don't want to fail, and we don't want to have those troubles. Well, this morning, as I if we open up Psalm uh, chapter 70, you can turn there if you want in your Bible as I kind of get us going this morning or wait for it's on the screen. But both the chapters that are for the reading for today through the summer in Psalm 69 and 70 is David again crying out to God for help. God, I'm in trouble. Come quickly. I don't think I'm going to make it, God. I need your help. And I'm struck by that. This is the same David who was king over Israel, the most famous king of all of the Old Testament of of Israel's kings, and to this day, still the most amazing one. If you go back in David's life, he started out as a shepherd. It was his job to guard the sheep. You know, this was a long day before when a guy would sit there, you know, with modern weapons to be able to take out the lions and the bears and the wolves and whatever was coming after the sheep. And, and, and the Bible tells us that David is a shepherd. I mean, this guy, he was bad. You did not want to mess with David. Don't think little, you know, little shepherd boy at the manger kind of person. Think somebody. He said, he said, when the lion came or the bear came and snatched one of the lambs from the flock, I went. And I took it out of its mouth. I went and grabbed it. And if it turned on me to eat me, I grabbed it by the beard and I killed it. I mean, I would not want to go hand to hand with a lion and a bear. And he did that. Amazing. Amazing. He was the guy that when Goliath the giant defied all the armies of Israel and everybody was scared to death and shaking, David said, where is he? I trust God. I'll stand up to this bully. I'll go out. Man, it was fearless. And yet we come to Psalm chapter 70. I told you to turn there. I hadn't turned there myself. Uh, It's always good to follow your own instructions, right? And we turn to chapter 70. In verse 1, the Bible says this. This is David writing, Make haste, O God, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. 
Let them be put to shame and confusion who seek my life. Let them be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. Let them turn back because of their shame who say, aha, aha. I thought, God, what, what a man who was fearless, who would face the challenges in life and would go forward and, and just a man that we could all look up to, but yet here he is, God. I'm in trouble. I am not going to make it. God, I need you. I want to share with you this morning just four quick things about how, what we should do when we face trouble. And I think I've said this before, but I'm, there's times I'm like, I feel like I often talk about like, what do you do when you have problems? What do you do when you have troubles? What do you do with this or that? And, and I'm just, you know, these are the chapters that are here today, but have you ever noticed how needy we really are as people? Have you ever, have you ever thought about that? I, I, we don't, most of us don't like to be needy. Most of us want to be kind of self-sufficient, independent. I don't need anybody's help. I got it all together, right? I don't care. And it's not just guys. You ladies are there too. You know, we just don't, we want to act like we've got our act together and we've got it all. We don't want to seem deficient, but we just, by nature as people, we're needy. I don't care whether it's physically. You know, you can start getting hypothermia at 50 degrees. It doesn't have to be 20 degrees out. Your body temperature, if it's 50 degrees outside and you're wet and it's cold and you don't have the pro proper clothing on, you can start to die. I mean, we just physically we're needy every day. I mean, think about what your body tells you when you skip a normal meal. Your body's like, you're going to die. This is, you're going to starve to death. You, 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 if you do not eat soon, you've got real problems. Now, truth is, is, you know, that's not reality. But your body tells you, like, we just, we are so needy physically, relationally, in every area of life. We are just, by human beings, I know we act like we're so tough and we can do everything and anything, but we're really kind of like those newborn babies that cannot do anything in life. We kind of, in the grand scheme of things, compare us to God, you know, like have babies here and God up here. We move the needle as adults maybe to here. <laughs> you know, we don't, we just are not as self-sufficient. And so this morning, what do you do when you face that trouble? First thing is, is you pray to God for help. You, you pray to the God of heaven for help. How often you're in my reality is, is when we have that trouble, David was facing, we don't know who, but there were those threatening to kill him, trying to kill him. him. He was king. When you are king, when you are the top person or whatever, the world wants to take you down. They want what you've got, you know, both internally, externally. And David felt those tremendous pressures. I'm sure there were days he woke up and thought, I wish I could just fight a lion or a bear today. I can deal with those guys. I don't know how to deal with this other stuff. Like that was easy. You know, he was thinking that I'm sure along the way. And he says, God, help me. Come quickly. I'm in trouble. By the way, when he says, God make haste, he's not giving God a command. He's not like the commanding officer, God, you come here and do my bidding. He's like, God, help me out. I'm not going to make it. Please help me. God, help me. First thing, when you and I, whatever that trouble may be, that you and I need to turn and we beg God for help. We ask God for help. You see, the truth of the matter is, no matter how 
on top we think we are, no matter how together we think we may be, no matter how strong we may be, I don't care whether physically, mentally, emotionally, whether you think you got life figured out or whatever, somewhere along the way you meet your match. And somewhere along the way you've got real problems. And somewhere along the way you have got real trouble. And David, when he hit those times, he cried unto God for help. He said, God, please, please, dear God, come and deliver me. You see, I don't care whether you've got a practical problem. We talked last week about like practical problems, personal you know, problems, and then people problems. Practical are kind of those annoyances, pains of life. People problems are kind of the really big ones that you just think you should not have trouble, but the drama and the awful and all of that in between. But I don't care if you've got a practical problem. Your plumbing's not working right, or your truck won't start, or your car or whatever doesn't work well. Even in those things where you need to go ask somebody else to come help you because you're outside of your expertise, you know, Seth Switzer and, and Restoration, they know they're like, hey, come help us because we know we can't do this ourselves. But even in those times, you don't go and just seek that help from somebody else. And you definitely don't just try it, I'm just going to solve this. What David is telling us is we go to God first. God, I need your help. God, I'm, i got a problem. God, I've got trouble. I've learned over the years that my problems tend not to be as big when I go to God first. You see, it's almost like we carry around a couple buckets you know, with us. One bucket, fire flames up in front of us. One bucket has gasoline and one has water. And we try to fix it ourselves. It's, we tend to put gasoline in. It tends to get bigger. I don't know if you ever noticed that, but when we go to God first, there's a tendency like the water ends up on it, and the problem just kind of gets a lot smaller because we're trusting the God of heaven to do that which we can't do, even in the practical things. I can't tell you how many times just... I've tried to discipline in my life just to, God, i got to fix this thing. Would you help us? God, we've got to go down and do that. Would you help us? God, I'm needy. Just as David said, would you help us? And when you pray to God, I want you to notice that you're not praying just, you're not asking your uncle for help. You're not going to your mom and dad. But he says in verse 1, he says, Oh Lord, make haste to help me. When the Bible says in this, in this verse, when it says L-O-R-D, all capital letters, that's the very personal name of God. It's, it's the, the I am that I am literally is the name. It's the, you're praying and asking the one who by definition is self-existent, who knows everything. You're praying to the one who merely spoke and this world came into existence. Think about it this way. You know, not only did God invent just what you see and around us, the grass and the trees and the sky and the sun and the light, but He created all the laws behind it, all of the laws of physics, all the, the mathematical laws and all the laws that make the world work. God created those things. He didn't just study them to try to figure them out. He invented them. He holds the stars in His hand. The Bible says He, he knows them all. He counts them all and He knows them by name. You're going to the God who knows everything, the one who rules this universe, who's in charge of all, that when He speaks, everyone obeys, that His voice has that power and authority. 
You're praying to the God who knows everything, who can do everything, and who is there with you at all times. You're, this is a different situation than you trying to phone, you know, an attorney, help, I've got legal trouble, you know, help, I need to pay my bill, what bought my boss, what do I do with this situation? You're praying to the God of the universe, and what an incredible blessing that you and I, in any moment, whether we're driving in our car, or laying in our bed, wherever we are, if we're in the middle of a, in Florida and a condo collapses on us, God is there. And we pray to that God in the universe, the God who is amazing and is above everything. Folks, that's the God that we serve, that when we go to Him and we're in trouble, that we pray to Him, we trust Him. Our hope is in Him. David didn't say, I got this. God, I'm in trouble. I need help. Second thing you do when you're in trouble, you pray against the evil. Notice what the Bible says. David prayed this. He said, let them. He had some specific people in mind. We don't know who they are. He said, let them be put to shame and confusion who seek my life. Let them be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. Let them turn back because of their shame who say, aha, aha. In other words, ha-ha, we got you. See, you're a loser. You messed up who are thrilled at my, you know, at my failure. When we are in trouble, we pray not only to God, but we pray against the evil and the evil ones. Jesus taught us in the Lord's Prayer in the New Testament, right? Deliver us, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, or literally the evil ones. We should pray that God would spare us from falling into evil in our own lives and fall us and, and spare us to help us to see and evade and avoid the strategies of the enemy of God. There's two kingdoms in this world, the kingdom of God and there's the kingdom of this world, and eventually God's kingdom will come in full power and authority and fully in visibility. In many ways, we see that happening already through Jesus who lived this world and He lives in our lives and He reigns. But nonetheless, the prince of the power of this air, the Bible says, lives in this world. And when you and I are in trouble, it's appropriate to pray against evil. You know, last week we talked a little bit about that. We often, you know, if you just look at the New Testament, you don't get the full picture of who God is. We have both of those for a reason. And yes, we're to love our neighbor and love our enemies too, and we're to forgive and those kinds of things. But David's sitting here, he's not saying, God, help me to forgive these individuals. I know they really don't mean it, and I really need to be nicer to them. He's like, God, they're trying to kill me, and they are nothing but pure evil. You see, David didn't do anything wrong. He didn't deserve it. And it was appropriate for him to pray against that evil because David knew that really what was going on is they were trying to undermine the work of God. God David was God's representative on this earth. He was king, and it was his job to lead God's people. It was his job to Help, uh, to help bring in the, the way of salvation, that ultimately Jesus would come. And he realized that they were actually enemies of God attacking all that God was doing. Now, that's not justification, you know, for you to drive down the road and somebody cuts you off or whatever. God, would you get them because they're really trying to end my life today? You might think that. That's a different deal. You don't go around, you know, just praying. <laughs> Remember the, the guys that, that uh, was it? Was it... Um, Peter and, and James, are they like, God, you want us to bring lightning down? You guys can straighten me out on the fly. I didn't, didn't go back and rehearse that. Was it Peter and James that said, God, would you want, you want us to zap them? James and John. Was it John? I thought it was a nicer guy than that. Okay. 
Yeah, that changes my picture, John. But like, God, you want us to, you know, pray lightning down to go get them? Like, we got enough faith to do that. And Jesus is like, come on, guys. Like, this is not, I didn't come down to, you know, be that guy. So there's a, there's a balance in here. But there are times when the trouble that is coming to you is clearly evil. It's not an annoyance. And it's okay and it's appropriate for you and I as God's people to say, God... We're not looking for vengeance. David wasn't looking for revenge. David wasn't looking to, you know, one-up them. God, these guys are against me as your representative on this earth. And God, they're undermining your salvation. Listen to what Paul did, what Paul said once. Paul was God's chief apostle amongst the Gentiles. And in the book of Acts, in his first missionary journey, for those of you familiar with those, as he was tasked to go around the world and to share people the good news of salvation of Jesus. He, he comes into town. He comes into, this, uh, into, the, and, into uh, Cyprus. And they come to this little town. It's called Paphos. And they're speaking to basically the governor or the mayor, if you will, of the town. And listen, listen to what happens there. There was this this man, they came upon a certain man, the Bible says in Acts 13, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus, which means the son of Jesus. So he, he kind of claimed to be the son of salvation is what the name Jesus means. And he was with the proconsul, the, the governor, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. So Paul and, and Barnabas came into town. They're spreading the good news. The governor, the mayor of the town said, I want to hear that message too. I want to hear about God. And this other guy named Sergius Paulus was against him. And so, but Elimus, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, that's the guy that's against him, he opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. In other words, he was trying to undermine all the words of God that they were speaking to the governor. And in verse 9, but Saul, who was also called Paul, I know the names get a little twisted around here, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said this, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, you full of all deceit and villainy. Not a lot of love and rainbows in that one, right? You call somebody the son of the devil, that's a pretty, that's a pretty big thing. That's word that most, most swear words today. And he said, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths to the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. And immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Paul turned to him. This man was trying to undermine the work of God. He was the evil. Paul in this moment didn't pray to God, but the Bible said he was full of the Spirit. In other words, the Holy Spirit had, had whispered into his heart what he wanted to do, and Paul simply made a pronouncement to the guy so that when it happened, the guy knew where it came from and was not a coincidence and proclaimed that, that rebuke to him that stop undermining what God is doing. You see, there are moments in our life that you and I should pray against that evil, that God would stop that so that the Word of God, that the work of God might indeed 
go forward. You see, King David knew that God's blessing resided in and through him, not because he was a great guy, but he was God's representative and because they were seeking his life, that the work of God in that kingdom and in that world is that way. Folks, there's times that you and I land in trouble that we need to pray against that evil. Not for vengeance, not for a personal gain, but ultimately for the work of God in our family, the work of God in our church, the work of God in our community, and the work of God in our world. Third thing, not only do we pray against evil, but we need to pray that we would see the greatness of God. Look what Paul does. He, he dramatically goes from verse 3 to verse 4. He then says, May all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say evermore, God is great. You know, as I shared last time, that we should not ever ignore the depth of the problem and the realities of life. We shouldn't numb ourselves to the pain. We shouldn't dumb down and hide ourselves and compartmentalize. Like We need to see it in reality robustly. But we don't stay in a world of paralyzed or anxiety or fear or worry. It's natural as human beings. We're going to have those moments and those seasons in our life. But we, much like this prayer, need to turn. Like, God, go get them. But now, God, I'm going to turn my attention to you. I already know what's out there. I know what they're coming to do. But, God, I've prayed about that. Now I want to see you, God. And he says, may your people, may all who seek you, rejoice and be glad in you. You see, David's turning his heart to God. When you and I had that trouble, as we talked last week, we need to, need to lean in and we need to hear it and we need to let it hit us where it needs to hit us because that motivates us appropriately to pray and deal with and to act and to respond. When we pray and trust God, we don't just sit back in an easy chair. I mean, I'm sure you think David, when he was a shepherd fighting a lion and bear, like, God help me. <laughs> you know, I think so. I don't think he was doing it in his own heart. You would, I hope. So he was he learned to trust God in that, but he had learned to pray and act and to take responsibility. He didn't just was an excuse to be lazy. But then he turns his attention and really fixate. God, we want to see your glory. God, may we see the Everyone who loves your salvation, may we see the greatness of God. You see, folks, it's in those times of trouble, they really are opportunities for you and for me to see God personally in a way that we would not otherwise see. You see, God doesn't want us to worship Him abstractly. This is not like you when you went to school, studied a subject and learned about something out there that you kind of can't get your mind around or your hands around or play with. God wants us to be more like kindergarten where you like stick your fingers in the paint, you know, and you get it all over you. And moms are like, you know, and the markers. And he wants you to experience him, not just learn about a subject on a, read it in a book, you know, to something, a concept that's way out there. He's... It's not like you learning about a historical figure at a time that you've never met and you are reading an impression of somebody that met that person, that man or woman. He wants you to experience Him. And so He wants us to turn our attention to Him. And, God, and David's prayer is, God, we want to see something great, but we want to see You. What David really was praying about is that 
that he would see the greatness of God, that God would show up and meet him in his need, in his life, and however that looks. So he turned to God and said, God, I can't do anything about this, but God, you can. And God, may we see your greatness. I want you to notice something subtly here. He says, may those who love your salvation say evermore that God is great. What that verse is telling us very simply is, is that the people who will see the greatness and the glory and the majesty of God are the ones who love God's salvation. See, if you don't love God's salvation, you won't ever see the majesty and glory of God. It's reality. All of us want the experience of God to see God do something great in our life. We want God to change our life. We want God to do something. We want God to to make something better, to show up, to work, to step back and say, wow, God did something. That was amazing. But we will only see it, you will only see it, if you truly love the salvation of God. In other words, the only way to see the greatness of God is to experience first the salvation of God in your life. You see, what God wants to do is to save you from your sin through His Son Jesus and then show up regularly in your life that He's a great God who still loves you and carries you today just as He did yesterday. So many times people kind of want to jump past that first point and they begin having trouble in their life. They begin experiencing things. And if we've talked about it, they begin like, well, I've tried everything. Maybe I'll go back and try church again. Give it another shot. And they begin, well, what, what does God have to say? And, and God begins using those, those ex- troubles in their life and if, they're not, if you're not careful, I've seen people where they just want to jump over that salvation and just, well, I just want God to do great things. Why does, I want God to do something. Why do I have to go through this? I just, I can't God just fix this? Can He do something? Can He whatever in life? And God's like, whoa, you can't jump to number three for number one. you got to go to number two. <laughs> you know, This is not Monopoly. You don't pass, you know, go and do not collect $200. You can't just... You know, you've you got to experience the salvation of God. So I want to challenge you this morning. If you're in that situation where you're like, God, I really want you to, I need you, God, to jump to that spot, make sure that you first have trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that you've experienced God's saving work in your own heart from your sin. See, what God wants to do is not just show His greatness, God, God's, I mean, let's be honest, God's already done it. He's like, look at the world. It's there. <laughs> it's there. You know, look at everything around you. I've already put my greatness on display. What I'm trying to do is to show you my salvation, to deliver your soul from death, sin and death and hell, and as an outgrowth of that, for you to experience my greatness personally, intimately, intricately involved in the details of your life. So folks, we should pray that God would we'd see the greatness of God in our life, but make sure that we are first a part of that saving family of, of Jesus, that we've put our trust in Jesus to save us. And then we pray that we might see the greatness of God. And the last little piece of that is this. Notice that David went from God, these guys are trying to kill me, God save me, help me. And now David steps back as leader of the kingdom and says, God, we all want to see your greatness. See, when you and I go through trouble in life, 
and this is the kind of trouble where the enemy is taking us down or whatever, what he wants is not just your life to go down, but he wants the lives of those around you to go down. And we underestimate that. David knew. David's praying, God, if I go down and these guys have victory, it's not just me, but we're all going to miss out. See, that's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to not only take you down, but he wants the splash effect. He wants the... In the video games, he wants the area effect. He just doesn't want to be the sniper into your soul. He wants to hit your kids, your co-workers, your neighbors. Yeah, I knew they were all a joke anyway. I knew that they, you know, talk about God and that. But yeah, look, what good does that do in their life? And David's praying against all that and saying, God, I need you in my life to show up. And God, through that, would you please help us all, those around me, to see that only God could do these kinds of things in our life. God wants to use you and the troubles in your life to put His greatness on display to your family, your friends, your church, your community, all of that. Fourth thing, and I'm done quickly, and then we're going to celebrate the supper, our Lord's Supper together. David says this in verse 5. He ends the way he started, kind of the Oreo cookie. Like, you know, he started at the top, and then the bottom, it's the same, and in the middle is different. He says, but I'm poor and needy in verse 5. Hasten to me, O God. God... You're great, but I'm not. He goes from, God, you're amazing. Please, we want to see that. God, I am so needy. Come to me quickly. You are my helper, my deliverer. Oh, Lord, do not delay. When you pray, you pray about your neediness. To remind yourself of the neediness of God. You see, this was conscious. David is like, God, I need you. There's no better way to deal with your pride, stubbornness, and arrogance in your heart that's there. Even when you don't know it's there, it's there. (laughs) To say, God, I'm needy. I can't deliver myself. God, I, I, I don't have the resources. I'm resource poor in this situation. By definition, I am poor and needy. And I only trust you. You are my deliverer. You are my salvation. It's appropriate when you and I come to that God, the God who rules this universe. And by the way, if you don't have that attitude in your heart, you're really not going to that God. I don't know what God you're going to, but you in comparison to God, who made everything and created this world, who knows everything and is all power and all loving and just, You and I are a million, million miles apart from that. You and I are needy in comparison. And what that last part of our prayer does is it puts us on our knees. It keeps us from demanding from God. It says, God, you are wiser than me. You are stronger. You are more caring. You are everything. And God, I need you. My help, my hope, my eyes are totally to you. That's where we end. The trouble's there, we see it. We acknowledge it. But we pray to God for help. We pray against the realities of the evil that would take down what God is doing in our life. We pray that we would see the greatness of God. And we see the greatness of God in relation to our soul. And we stay there. That's where we put our focus. So folks, I don't know what trouble you have or or are in. But David gives us the pathway, how we respond to those things in a way that God answers. David prayed to God 
And he believed God would answer his prayers. And you know what? If you look at David's life in history, God shows up again and again and again and again. Remember, that God that you're trusting in is a God who has never, ever, ever, ever once been defeated. Unlike Olympians who may come out Olympian ch champions and they lose a match or a set or whatever, but win the game, God doesn't even lose any little piece in the process. He always wins. That's the one we trust. So when trouble hits, we hold our head high, but we put our trust and we pray to Him, the God who saves all in the middle of it. So as we turn our attention this morning to the Lord's Supper, Jesus gave us something that we as His followers should do to trust in His salvation, to be reminded, not so much to trust His salvation, but to be reminded of that salvation that we do trust in. And as He hung on, as He prepared His disciples before He was to hang on that cross, He, he took them through an, an experiential kind of thing. Again, kind of the God who doesn't want us to just hear, you know, see or hear something, but He wants us to experience it. He, he sat with his disciples in that room and said, drink of this cup, this, this red wine. It's, it's, it's a picture. It's my blood that's going to be shed for you. And this bread, this unleavened, in other words, bread without yeast, you know, this, um, didn't rise. He said, it's, it's a picture of my body that's going to be broken for you. And so... He told us as His followers to consciously remember what He did for us. That just as we need to remember in our prayers that we're the poor and needy ones, that we go to the God who is over everything, He wants us in our life to remember that the core of our relationship with Him is founded on that cross, on the fact that Jesus died for our sins. That's the those who love His salvation. That's the center of that. This is without... Without the reality behind what we're about to, to participate in, without the reality of Jesus dying on the cross for our sins, a picture is that's pictured in the in the, the juice and the cracker this morning, we would have no relationship to God to go to Him in trouble. For those of you that have followed Jesus a long time, think about where you'd be. Not just I'm just even lower level, not just in eternity, but think about the scrapes and the challenges of life that God has shown up and taken care of you? Where would you be without that God? And then think about your soul in eternity without any hope, without any forgiveness of sin, and nothing but judgment and condemnation. Jesus gave His everything, took that sin, took that punishment that you and I earned on the cross so that we could be forgiven and that we could experience the greatness of God that we've been talking about this morning. So I'm going to give you a minute as you uh, just to kind of prepare your heart. The Bible ushers us a, a warning to take this seriously, not flippantly, not lightly, not so somberly, seriously. This is not a, a meant to be a thing that, oh, no, I don't know if I'm good enough to do this. Sometimes Christians get in their own head and, oh, did I sin this morning? Did I look the wrong way? Did I have the wrong thought? God's not trying to bind us up. You and I will never be good enough for this. But he does want us to take it seriously as a picture of his grace, a picture of what he's done for us. So think through this morning. Take a moment in your heart and reflect on your life and your walk with God. If you know Jesus as Lord of your life and have 
you are a lover of that salvation, then we invite you to participate in this. And if you're not, and you're not sure what that is, and you're really not sure if you've done step two, you're you know at one in trouble and kind of trying to get the experience of God, then my, my counsel to you this morning is just step back. There's nothing, this is not the way to get to step two. This does not bring God's favor into your life in that way. So instead, sit back and say, you know what, God, I just need to understand what your salvation is. Would you help me to know what that step two is, is what I need to do to trust Christ? And then pray about that. And then if that's where you are afterwards, talk to me or one of our pastors or somebody else here. We'd love to help you with that, to, to just sit down with you to explain that to you. But, but wherever you are spiritually, take just a moment or two between you and God to kind of prepare your heart and worship Him in this, this memorial. So. Why don't you go ahead and bow your heads and take a moment with God. Lord, in the quietness of the room, you speak. And through an obscure corner of the world, in a little town in history of Jerusalem, your only son, the God-man, came and took upon himself the sins of the whole world a normal, quiet day for most people in the world, but a profound step that shattered the judgment and the curse of sin and death that we had all earned. Thank you, Father, for our Lord Jesus, who willingly gave His life for us on the cross. Thank you that we, through trusting Him as our Lord and Savior, that we can come to you at any moment of any day, in any situation, in any place, and come to you to the great I Am who rules and reigns, and that we can come to you without hesitation, without worry, without doubt, and without shame through your Son, Jesus. Father, as we celebrate this supper this afternoon, we are grateful for your love and for your mercy. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.